Chapter 21 of 25 Sermons on the Holy Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. 25 Sermons on the Holy Land by Thomas DeWitt Talmage. Incidents in Palestine. For as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness. Numbers chapter 10 verse 31. Night after night we have slept in tent in Palestine. There are large villages of Bedouins without a house, and for three thousand years the people of those places have lived in black tents made out of dyed skins. And when the winds and storms wore out and tore loose those coverings, others of the same kind took their places. Noah lived in a tent, Abraham in a tent, Jacob pitched his tent on the mountain, Isaac pitched his tent in the valley, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. In a tent, the woman Jael nailed Sisera the general to the ground, first having given him sour milk called leaven as a soporific to make him soundly sleep that being the effect of such nutrition, as modern travellers can testify. The Syrian army in a tent. The ancient battle shout was, To your tents, O Israel! Paul was a tent maker. Indeed, Isaiah, magnificently poetic, indicates that all the human race lived under a blue tent when he says that God stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. And Hezekiah compares death to the striking of a tent, saying, My age is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. In our tent in Palestine tonight, I hear something I never heard before, and hope never to hear again. It is the voice of a hyena amid the rocks nearby. When you may have seen this monster putting his mouth between the iron bars of a menagerie. He is a captive, and he gives a mutilated and suppressed cry. But yonder, in the midnight, on a throne of rocks, he has nothing to fear, and he utters himself in a loud, resounding, terrific, almost supernatural sound, splitting up the darkness into a deeper midnight. It begins with a howl, and ends with a sound something like a horse's whinnying. In the hyena's voice are defiance and strength and bloodthirstiness and crunch of broken bones and death. I am glad to say that, for the most part, Palestine is clear of beasts of prey. The leopards, which Jeremiah says cannot change their spots, have all disappeared, and the lions that once were common all through this land and used by all the prophets for illustrations of cruelty and wrath, have retreated before the discharges of gunpowder, of which they have an indescribable fear. But for the most part, Palestine is what it originally was, with the one exception of a wire thread reaching from Joppa to Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem to Nazareth, and from Nazareth to Tiberias, and from Tiberias to Damascus that one nerve of civilization, the telegraphic wire, for we found ourselves only a few minutes off from Brooklyn and New York while standing by Lake Galilee. 
with that one exception palestine is just as it always was nothing surprised me so much as the persistence of everything a sheep or horse falls dead and though the sky may one minute before be clear of all wings in five minutes after the skies are black with eagles cawing screaming plunging fighting for room contending for largest morsels of the extinct quadruped ah now i understand the force of christ's illustration when he said wheresoever the carcass is there will the eagles be gathered together the longevity of those eagles is wonderful they live fifty or sixty and sometimes a hundred years and that explains what david meant when he says thy youth is renewed like the eagles i saw a shepherd with the folds of his coat far bent outward and i wondered what was contained in that amplitude of apparel and i said to the dragoman what has that shepherd got under his coat and the dragoman said it is a very young lamb he is carrying it is too young and too weak and too cold to keep up with the flock at that moment i saw the lamb put its head out from the shepherd's bosom and i said there it is now isaiah's description of the tenderness of god he shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom passing by a village home in the holy land about noon i saw a great crowd in and around a private house and i said to the dragoman david what is going on there he said somebody has recently died there and their neighbours go in for several days after to sit down and weep with the bereaved there it is i said the old scriptural custom and many of the jews came to martha and mary to comfort them concerning their brother early in the morning passing by a cemetery in the holy land i saw among the graves about fifty women dressed in black and they were crying oh my child oh my husband oh my father oh my mother our dragoman told us that every morning very early for three mornings after burial the women go to the sepulchre and after that every week very early for a year as i saw this group just after daybreak i said there it is again the same old custom referred to in luke the evangelist where he says certain women which were early at the sepulchre but here we found ourselves at jacob's well the most famous well in history most distinguished for two things because it belonged to the old patriarch after whom it was named and for the wonderful things which christ said seated on this well curb to the samaritan woman we dismount from our horses in a drizzling rain and our dragoman climbing up to the well over the slippery stones stumbles and frightens us all by nearly falling into it i measured the well at the top and found it six feet from edge to edge some grass and weeds and thorny growths overhang it in one place the roof is broken through large stones embank the wall on all sides our dragoman took pebbles and dropped them in and from the time they left his hand to the instant they clicked on the bottom you could hear it was deep though not as deep as once for every day travellers are applying the same test and though in the time of mondrel the traveller 
the well was a hundred and sixty-five feet deep. Now it is only seventy-five. So great is the curiosity of the world to know about that well, that during the dry season a Captain Anderson descended into this well, at one place the sides so close he had to put his hands over his head in order to get through, and then he fainted away and lay at the bottom of the well as though dead, until hours after recovery he came to the surface. It is not like other wells dig down to a fountain that fills it, but a reservoir to catch the falling rains. And to that Christ refers when speaking to the Samaritan woman about a spiritual supply, he said that he would, if asked, have given her living water. That is, water from a flowing spring, in distinction from the water of that well, which was rainwater. But why did Jacob make a reservoir there, when there is plenty of water all around, and abundance of springs and fountains, and seemingly no need of that reservoir? Why did Jacob go to the vast expense of boring and digging a well, perhaps two hundred feet deep, as first completed, when by going a little way off he could have water from other fountains at little or no expense? Ah, Jacob was wise. He wanted his own well. Quarrels and wars might arise with other tribes, and the supply of water might be cut off, so the shovels and pickaxes and boring instruments were ordered, and the well of nearly four thousand years ago was sunk through the solid rock. When Jacob thus wisely insisted on having his own well, he taught us not to be unnecessarily dependent on others. Independence of business character, independence of moral character, independence of religious character. Have your own well of grace, your own well of courage, your own well of divine supply. If you are an invalid, you have a right to be dependent on others. But if God has given you good health, common sense, and two eyes, and two ears, and two hands, and two feet, he equipped you for independence of all the universe except himself. If he had meant you to be dependent on others, you would have been built with a cord around your waist to tie fast to somebody else. No, you are built with common sense to fashion your own opinions, with eyes to find your own way, with ears to select your own music, with hands to fight your own battles. There is only one being in the universe whose advice you need, and that is God. Have your own well, and the Lord will fill it. Dig it, if need be, through two hundred feet of solid rock. Dig it with your pen, or dig it with your yardstick, or dig it with your shovel, or dig it with your Bible. In my small way, I never accomplished anything for God or the church, or the world, or my family, or myself except in contradiction to human advice and in obedience to divine counsel. God knows everything, and what is the use of going for advice to human beings who know so little that no one but the all-seeing God can realise how little it is? I suppose that when Jacob began to dig this well on which we are sitting this noontide, people gathered round and said, What a useless expense you are going to! when rolling down from yonder Mount Gerizim and down from yonder Mount Ebal, 
and out yonder in the valley is plenty of water. Oh, replied Jacob, that is all true, but suppose my neighbours should get angered against me and cut off my supply of mountain beverage. What would I do? And what would my family do? And what would my flocks and herds do? Forward, ye brigade of pickaxes and crowbars, and go down into the depths of these rocks, and make me independent of all except him who fills the bottles of the clouds. I must have my own well. Young man, drop cigars and cigarettes, and wine cups, and the Sunday excursions, and build your own house, and have your own wardrobe, and be your own capitalist. Why, I have only five hundred dollars income a year, says someone. Then spend four hundred dollars of it in living, and ten percent of it in beginning to dig your own well. Or, if you have a thousand dollars a year, spend eight hundred dollars of it in living, ten percent or one hundred dollars in benevolence, and the remaining one hundred in beginning to dig your own well. The largest bird that ever flew through the air was hatched out of one egg, and the greatest estate was brooded out of one dollar. I suppose when Jacob began to dig this well, on whose curb we are now seated this December noon, it was a dry season then as now, and someone comes up and says, Now, Jacob, suppose you get the well fifty feet deep, or two hundred feet deep, and there should be no water to fill it. Would you not feel silly? People passing along the road and looking down from Mount Gerizim or Mount Ebal nearby would laugh and say, That is Jacob's well, a great hole in the rock, illustrating the man's folly. Jacob replied, There never has been a well in Palestine or any other country that once thoroughly dug was not sooner or later filled from the clouds, and this will be no exception. For months after Jacob had completed the well, people went by and, out of respect for the deluded old man, put their hand over their mouth to hide a snicker, and the well remained as dry as the bottom of a kettle that had been hanging over the fire for three hours. But one day the sun was drawing water, and the wind got round to the east, and it began to drizzle, and then great drops splashed all over the well curb and the heavens opened their reservoir, and the rainy season poured its floods for six weeks, and there came maidens to the well with empty pails, and carried them away full, and the camels thrust their mouths into the troughs, and were satisfied. And the water was in the well three feet deep, and fifty feet deep, and two hundred feet deep, and all the Bedouins of the neighbourhood, and all the passers-by, realized that Jacob was wise in having his own well. My hearer, it is your part to dig your own well, and it is God's part to fill it. You do your part, and he will do his part. Much is said about good luck, but people who are industrious and self-denying almost always have good luck. You can afford to be laughed at because of your application and economy, for when you get your well dug and filled, it will be your turn to laugh. But look up from this famous well and see two mountains and the plain between them, 
on which was gathered the largest religious audience that ever assembled on earth, about five hundred thousand people. Mount Gerizim, about eight hundred feet high, on one side, and on the other Mount Abel, the former called the Mount of Blessing, and the latter called the Mount of Cursing. At Joshua's command, six tribes stood on Mount Gerizim, and read the blessings for keeping the law, and six tribes stood on Mount Abel, reading the curses for breaking the law, while the five hundred thousand people on the plain cried, Amen, with an emphasis that must have made the earth tremble. I do not believe that, says someone, for those mountain tops are two miles apart, and how could a voice be heard from top to top? My answer is that, while the tops are two miles apart, the bases of the mountains are only half a mile apart, and the tribes stood on the sides of the mountains, and the air is so clear, and the acoustic qualities of this great natural amphitheatre so perfect, that voices can be distinctly heard from mountain to mountain, as has been demonstrated by travellers fifty times in the last fifty years. Can you imagine anything more thrilling and sublime and overwhelming than what transpired on those two mountainsides and in the plain between, when the responsive service went on and thousands of voices on Mount Gerizim cried, Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the fields, blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. And then from Mount Abel, thousands of voices responded, crying, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbour's landmark. Cursed be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way. And then there rolled up from all the spaces between the mountains that one word with which the devout of earth close their prayers and the glorified of heaven finish their doxologies. Amen, amen. That scene only to be surpassed by the times which are coming, when the churches and the academies of music and the auditoriums of earth no longer large enough to hold the worshippers of God, the parks, the mountainsides, the great natural amphitheatres of the valleys shall be filled with the outpouring populations of the earth, and mountain shall reply to mountain, as Mount Gerizim to Mount Ebal, and all the people shall ascribe riches and honour and glory and dominion and victory to God the Lamb. And there shall arise an Amen like the booming of the heavens mingling with the thunder of the seas. On and on we ride until now we have come to Shiloh, a dead city on a hill surrounded by rocks, sheep, goats, olive gardens and vineyards. Here good Eli fell backward and broke his neck and lay dead at the news from his bad boys Phineas and Hopney, and life is not worth living after one's children have turned out badly. And more fortunate was Eli, instantly expiring under such tidings, than those parents who, their children recreant and profligate, live on with broken hearts to see them going down with deeper and deeper plunge. There are fathers and mothers here today to whom death would be happy release because of their recreant sons. And if there be recreant sons here present, and your parents be far away, why not bow your head in repentance, and at the close of this service go to the telegraph office and put it on the wing of the lightning that you have turned from your evil ways, 
before another twenty-four hours have passed take your feet off the sad hearts at the old homestead home to thy god o prodigal many many letters do i get in purport saying my son is in your cities we have not heard from him for some time we fear something is wrong hunt him up and say a good word to him his mother is almost crazy about him he is a child of many prayers but how can i hunt him up unless he be in this audience where are you my boy on the main floor or on this platform or in these boxes or in these great galleries where are you lift your right hand i have a message from home your father is anxious about you your mother is praying for you your god is calling for you or will you wait until eli falls back lifeless and the heart against which you lay in infancy ceases to beat what a story to tell in eternity that you killed her my god avert that catastrophe but i turn from this shiloh of eli's sudden decease under bad news from his boys and find close by what is called the meadow of the feast while this ancient city was in the height of its prosperity on this meadow of the feast there was an annual ball where the maidens of the city amid clapping cymbals and a blare of trumpets danced in a glee upon which thousands of spectators gazed but no dance since the world stood ever broke up in such a strange way as the one the bible describes one night while by the light of the lamps and torches these gaieties went on two hundred benjamites who had been hidden behind the rocks and among the trees dashed upon the scene they came not to injure or destroy but wishing to set up households of their own the women of their own land having been slain in battle and by preconcerted arrangement each one of the two hundred benjamites seized the one whom he chose for the queen of his home and carried her away to large estate and beautiful residence for these two hundred benjamites had inherited the wealth of a nation as to-day near shiloh we look at the meadow of the feast where the maidens danced that night and at the mountain gorge up which the benjamites carried their brides we bethink ourselves of the better times in which we live when such scenes are an impossibility and amid orderly groups and with prayer and benediction and breath of orange blossoms and the roll of the wedding march marriage is solemnized and with oath recorded in heaven two immortals start arm in arm on a journey to last until death do them part upon every such marriage altar may there come the blessing of him who setteth the solitary in families side by side on the path of life side by side in their graves side by side in heaven but we must this afternoon our last day before reaching nazareth pitch our tent on the most famous battlefield of all time the plain of estraelon what must have been the feelings of the prince of peace as he crossed it on the way from jerusalem to nazareth not a flower blooms there but has in its veins the inherited blood of flowers that drank the blood of fallen armies hardly a foot of the ground that has not at some time been gullied with war chariots or trampled with the hoofs of cavalry it is a plain reaching from the mediterranean to the jordan 
upon it looked down the mountains of tabor and gilboa and carmel through it rages at certain seasons the river kishon which swept down the armies of sisera the battle occurring in november when there is almost always a shower of meteors so that the stars in their courses were said to have fought against sisera through this plain drove jehu and the iron chariots of the canaanites scythed at the hubs of the wheels hewing down their awful swathes of death thousands in a minute the syrian armies the turkish armies the egyptian armies again and again trampled it there they career across it david and joshua and godfrey and richard coeur de lion and baldwin and saladin a plain not only famous for the past but famous because the bible says the great decisive battle of the world will be fought there the battle of armageddon to me the plain was the more absorbing because of the desperate battles here and in regions round in which the holy cross the very two pieces of wood on which jesus was supposed to have been crucified was carried as a standard at the head of the christian host and that night closing my eyes in my tent on the plain of Israelon, for there are some things we can see better with eyes shut than open the scenes of that ancient war come before me the twelfth century was closing and saladin at the head of eighty thousand mounted troops was crying ho for jerusalem ho for all palestine and before them everything went down but not without unparalleled resistance in one place one hundred and thirty christians were surrounded by many thousands of furious mohammedans for one whole day the one hundred and thirty held out against these thousands tennyson's six hundred when someone had blundered were eclipsed by these one hundred and thirty fighting for the holy cross they took hold the lances which had pierced them with death wounds and pulling them out of their own breasts and side hurled them back again at the enemy on went the fight until all but one christian had fallen and he mounted on the last horse wielded his battle-axe right and left till his horse fell under the plunge of the javelins and the rider making the sign of the cross toward the sky gave up his life on the point of a score of spears but soon after the last battle came history portrays it poetry chants it painting colours it and all ages admire that last struggle to keep in possession the wooden cross on which jesus was said to have expired it was a battle in which mingled the fury of devils and the grandeur of angels thousands of dead christians on this side thousands of dead mohammedans on the other side the battle was hottest close around the wooden cross upheld by the bishop of ptolemaeus himself wounded and dying and when the bishop of ptolemaeus dropped dead the bishop of lydda seized the cross and again lifted it carrying it onward into a wilder and fiercer fight and sword against javelin and battle-axe upon helmet and piercing spear against splintering shield horses and men tumbled into heterogeneous death now the wooden cross on which the armies of christians had kept their eye begins to waver begins to descend it falls and the wailing of the christian host at its disappearance drowns the huzzah of the victorious muslims but that standard of the cross only seemed to fall 
It rides the sky today in triumph. Five hundred million souls, the mightiest army of the ages, are following it, and where that goes they will go, across the earth and up the mighty steps of the heavens. In the twelfth century it seemed to go down, but in the nineteenth century it is the mightiest symbol of glory and triumph, and means more than any other standard, whether inscribed with eagle or lion or bear or star or crescent. That which Saladin trampled on the plain of Estrialon, I lift today for your marshalling. The cross, the cross, the foot of it planted in the earth it saves, the top of it pointing to the heavens to which it will take you, and the outspread beam of it, like outstretched arms of invitation to all nations. Kneel at its foot, lift your eye to its victim, swear eternal allegiance to its power. And as that mighty symbol of pain and triumph is kept before us, we will realise how insignificant are the little crosses we are called to bear, and we will more cheerfully carry them. Must Jesus bear the cross alone, and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. As I fall asleep tonight on my pillow in the tent on the plain of Estrialon, reaching from the Mediterranean to the Jordan, the waters of the river Kishon soothing me, as by a lullaby, I hear the gathering of the hosts for the last battle of all the earth, and by their representatives America is here, and Europe is here, and Asia is here, and Africa is here, and all heaven is here, and all hell is here. And Apollyon, on the black horse, leads the armies of darkness, and Jesus, on the white horse, leads the armies of light. And I hear the roll of the drums, and the clear call of the clarions, and the thunder of the cannonades. And then I hear the wild rush, as of millions of troops in retreat, and then the shout of victory, as from fourteen hundred million throats, and then a song, as though all the armies of earth and heaven were joining in it, clapping cymbals, beating the time. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign for ever and ever. End of chapter 21